Now it's time to read God's word. Uh, We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24, on page 1148. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, on page 1148. Starting at verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as the Lord has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Thank you, Joyce, for reading. Um, As was mentioned last week, um, we're currently in 1 Corinthians, and we're continuing through 1 Corinthians into chapter 7. Um, And as we said last week, next Sunday evening, we're planning to have um, a question time. Um, So if you have um, particular thoughts or questions that come up off the back of last week, um, tonight or next week, um, then obviously we we want to chat about sermons after the service. We're not saying that that's the only time we can ask questions and chat about these things. But we'll have a particular time. Um, after the sermon next Sunday evening to think um, through some questions, um, if you have them. For now, we're just going to focus on those few verses that Joyce has just read. Um, Let's pray um, as we begin. Father, we confessed our faith earlier on, and we said that you are the creator of heaven and earth. And so we pray, Father, that as we come to your words, the words of the Lord of the universe, that you would help us to come with reverence and awe. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would do a great work amongst us this evening. Please would he help us to listen. We pray, Father, that that we would hear and the challenges and encouragements that you give us in these verses. And that we would be a church, a people who live in light of what you say to us this evening. For Jesus' glory we ask. 
Amen. You probably noticed as the passage was read for us this, this evening that Paul says basically the same thing three times in our verses. Let's look down at the start of our verses this evening, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So there again in the middle, verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. It's there again at the end. Brothers and sisters, each person, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Straight in tonight, our first point is this. Live as you were called. Live as you were called. It's there at the start. It's there in the middle. And it's there at the end. Live as you were called. Now, when Paul uses this word called, he's not thinking um, about some sort of special vocation that we've got to try and work out. What is our calling in life? Instead, when he uses this word called, he's talking about salvation. Flick back a few pages to the start of 1 Corinthians in the second verse. And Paul says this, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. A few verses on, in verse 9, he says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. At the end of the chapter, verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Paul has used this words throughout this letter so far. Called, called, And so, as we flick back to the middle of chapter 7, we see here that Paul is speaking about our salvation. Paul is talking about the gospel call. As in, if you're a Christian believer, if you've put your trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Paul says this, you've been chosen by God. You've been called by him, personally the creator of the universe, called by him to be one of his special people. It's a mind-blowing thought, isn't it, this evening? Sat here in 21st century Banstead, called by the creator of the universe. And of course this calling on one level changes absolutely everything. The moment you accept God's call to become a Christian, well, Jesus becomes your Lord over everything. And so life changes. God's spirit comes to dwell in your bodies, as we've seen back in chapter 6. And so life changes. And yet in our verses this evening, Paul is saying that the circumstances and situations in which you live your life, well, they don't necessarily need to change. Remember it. Remain in the situation you were in. When God called you, live as you were called. In fact, we could say that this is the principle that runs through the whole of chapter 7. Last week, think back, we saw some applications to those who are married. And the big point was remain, don't get divorced, keep having sex. Next week, we'll see some applications to those who are unmarried. And again, this principle of remaining will come up again. Live as you were called. 
It's a slight shift in topic in these verses, isn't it? That's what it seems like. Marriage at one end of the chapter, unmarriage at, well, unmarriage, singleness at the other end of the chapter. And in this middle, we've got this, we've got this middle section, and it seems to change. And yet the principle Paul is outlining is exactly the same. Remain. Live as you were called. Now we need to be clear, don't we? He's not saying that our circumstances and situations can't change. Did you notice what he says to slaves? If you can gain your freedom, do so. Next week we'll say to the unmarried that you are free to marry. He's not saying that we can't ever change the circumstances And situations that we're in, there may be very good and and indeed very godly reasons to change them. But what he is saying is that we don't necessarily need to change. And the reason why Paul wants to, to say this to us is because, well, he wants to free us up to live for Christ now. He wants to free us up to be able to live for Christ in the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in now. You see, as we've made our way through this letter, one of the things that we've seen is that the Christians in Corinth, well, they wanted to be really spiritual Christians. They wanted this elite level of spirituality. And it appears as if they seem to think that in order to reach that level, in in order to be a really spiritual Christian, well, they thought, well, we must change our circumstances. We must change our situations. It seems as if they were thinking, well, if only I could change my circumstances, then I would be better off with God. If only I could change my situations, well, then I would be higher up the spiritual ladder. We saw that last week, didn't we, with regards to sex and marriage. I'm going to be more spiritual, so I'm not going to have sex, and I'm going to climb the ladder. I'm going to be spiritual, and so I'm not going to remain married, and so I'm going to climb the ladder. Don't worry, Stu, I'm coming down. (laughs) That's what it appears as if is going on in Corinth. They seem to think that circumstances affected spirituality. They seem to think that their earthly status was a marker of spiritual status. And so you can imagine the kinds of things that went on in Corinth. Christians looking at one another in the congregation and thinking, if only. Looking over their shoulder to the Christian behind them, thinking, if only. If only I had their circumstances, then I would be better off as a Christian. If only I was in their situation, well, then I would be much more spiritual. I'd be higher up the ladder. We can do the same, can't we? I take it that we've all looked at other Christians and thought, well, if only their circumstances were mine. I take it we've all looked at other Christians and wished that their situation was our situation. Thinking, well, if only I was like them, then I would be better off as a Christian. If only I was in their shoes, if only I had what they had, I'd be more spiritual Last week, as I say, the issue of marriage. If only I wasn't married. Or if only I wasn't married to her, then I would be better off spiritually. Next week, the issue of singleness. If only I was married. Or if only I had children, well, then I would be a proper Christian. And as I say, 
Chapter 7, mainly about marriage and and singleness, but the examples that Paul uses in this middle chunk this evening, well, they widen everything out to include all sorts of circumstances and situations. If only I had their background. If only I grew up in their family. If only I had their education. If only I had their job. If only I had their social status. If only I was their age. If only I had their time. If only, if only, if only then I would be better off as a Christian. Then I would be more spiritual. Now, of course, there may be circumstances and situations in which it is easier to live as a Christian. It's worth just taking a couple of moments just to acknowledge that some of us in our church family might be in circumstances and situations in which it is hard to live as a Christian. Um, If that is the case, then I hope you've got Christian brothers with whom you can share that burden with and to pray together. But what Paul doesn't want for us in these verses is for us to always be looking at others and thinking, if only. He doesn't want us to think, well, I, I would get going as a Christian, but only when my circumstances and situations change. He doesn't want us to put it off. He wants us to live for Christ now. Remain in the situation you were in when you were called. Live as you were called. Paul, actually, in these verses, he wants to liberate us. He wants to free us up. Stop looking at others. Stop thinking, if only. Live for Christ now. You can honor God now. You can serve Christ now. You can speak of Christ now. How is he going to show us this? How is he going to encourage us to remain as we were called? Well, it is by showing us that our circumstances and situations are spiritually irrelevant. Live as you were called, knowing that your circumstances and situations are spiritually irrelevant. Now, please don't mishear me. I am by no means saying that our circumstances don't matter. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about the situations that we are in, that we are facing. What I mean is that if we're a Christian believer, then neither our circumstances nor our situations make any difference in our standing before God. They're spiritually irrelevant. And Paul shows us this by taking us through two things that would have been the great dividers of the day. The first one, whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised, and by extension, whether you were Jewish or non-Jewish. That's the first one. And the second one was whether you were a slave or whether you were free. Those were the two great dividers of the day, religious, religious and social. And Paul's point in both of these examples is whatever side of the fence you fall on, Jewish or non-Jewish, slave or free, whatever side you fall on, spiritually irrelevant. Firstly, circumcision, verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? 
he should not be circumcised. Now, I doubt that many of us at Christ Church have been late at, up late at night worrying, should I get circumcised or not? It, it's never really part of the pastoral conversations that we have um, here at church. But for Gentiles in the first century, massive question. The great religious divider of the day. Think about it. For 2,000 years, circumcision was the sign that you were part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Circumcision was the sign that showed you were part of God's special people. It was the sign that you were under God's blessing. It was the dividing line between those God's approved of and those God's didn't. As you can start to see why some Gentiles who had then converted to Christianity might have thought, well, let's get circumcised. After all, I want to be a spiritual person, and surely that is the thing to do in order to be better off spiritually. In fact, at the time that the New Testament was written, there were some Jewish teachers going around explaining to Gentile Christians that if they really wanted to be truly part of God's people, get circumcised. Do you see it's the issue in Corinth? They really wanted to be truly God's people. If you really want to be spiritual, get circumcised. And yet, what does Paul say? Don't change. Remain. Live as you were called. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. That's a relief for some of us, isn't it? But did you notice the reason why? Verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Now just imagine what that would have sounded like in the ears of a Jewish person. It's like Paul's just pulled the pin out of the grenade and just chucked it in. Some circumcision, uncircumcision, nothing. They would have thought that it was really important. In fact, essential. They would have thought, well, keeping God's commands means getting circumcised. And yet Paul says, no, it doesn't. Circumcision and uncircumcision, and by extension, whether you have a Jewish or whether you have a Gentile background, spiritually irrelevant. What matters is not outward physical changes, but inward obedience to God. Live as a believer. Keeping God's commands, that is what counts. And if Paul can say that about circumcision, well, we can extend the principle more widely to plenty of other circumstances too. If he can say, well, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, then it's true of a whole load of other things too. Our background, our race, our gender, our family situation, our relationship status, all of them spiritually irrelevant. None of them make any difference in our standing before God. We've just been singing, we're saved by grace and grace alone. The key to pleasing God as a Christian is not found in changing your circumstances, but in seeking to honour the Lord Jesus in the circumstances that we are in. What matters is not changing our situations, but obeying God's commands 
in them. I wonder whether this might challenge and the kinds of things that we pray for. Now, again, don't mishear it. I'm, I'm not saying we can't pray for circumstances or situations. But I take it that the much greater priority has to be godliness. As we pray for one another, as we pray for our children, our greatest prayer shouldn't be that their circumstances change. Our greatest prayer should be that they love the Lord Jesus in those circumstances and that they seek to honour him in the situations that they are in. That is the greatest priority for our prayers, keeping God's commands. Well, if circumcision was the great religious divider of the day, then whether you were a slave or whether you were free was the big social divide. Verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. I'm going to pause there for a second because I want us to acknowledge that what Paul says there sounds incredibly shocking, doesn't it? It can sound as if Paul is making light of slavery. It can sound as if Paul is saying that slavery is not that bad or, or even condoning it. And it's also worth acknowledging that Christian believers have done horrifically evil things off the back of these verses. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul isn't saying to slaves, I'll oh, just get on with it, your life is easy. He's not asking them to pretend that their conditions are not awful. He's not saying that it's a good position to be in. He's clearly pro-freedom. Did you notice that? If you can, gain your freedom. He's not saying that slaves must stay as slaves and just get on with it. What he is saying is that Christian slaves are not to let their worldly status define them. You see, the slave would have obviously lacked worth in the eyes of the world. And they could have easily led to that... Sorry, and they could have easily thought that they therefore lacked worth before God. Paul says, wrong. That is not true. Paul wants them to know that they belong... To Jesus, verse 22, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is who? The Lord's freed person. The verse goes on, similarly, the one who was free when called is who? Christ's slave. In the city of Corinth, status mattered hugely. And the danger is that it would have crept into the church. The, the church of Corinth would have been made up of a whole mix of people, some of them who were free, some of them who were slaves, a wide range of socioeconomic backgrounds. And yet Paul wants this church to be clear. Whether you're a Christian who is a slave or whether you're a Christian who is free, well, those things are spiritually irrelevant. Your earthly status does not indicate your spiritual status. You both belong to the Lord. Just as much as each other. Did you notice that? It's completely radical 
what Paul says in these verses. The slave is the Lord's free man. The free man is Christ's slave. Level pegging in the church. And so if you're a slave and you can't get free, don't let it trouble you. As in, don't let your position let you think that you're not important, that you're not worth something. You belong to Christ just as much as the free person. After all, you were bought with a price. It's come up already, hasn't it? At the end of chapter 6, you were bought with a price. And that is true of every single Christian believer sat here tonight. Bought with a price. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus. The whole point that Paul is making here is that whatever status we might have in the world's eyes because of our situations, well, our primary identity is that we belong to him. Our primary identity does not come from our racial or social or economic status. Our identity is not wrapped up in the situations that we are in. Whether we are married or not, that is not our primary identity. Whether we're a parent or not, that is not our primary identity. Whether we have a well-paid job, a low-paid job, or no job at all, that is not our primary identity. Our identity is that we're a Christian. Our identity is that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever we are, if we're a Christian. Whatever background, whatever status the world might want to give us, we belong to Jesus. And if we think about it, then isn't that just so much better than any other identity? Identities come and go. There's no point labelling ourselves as a married person because marriages come and go. This identity in Christ is secure. It is eternal. I take it that's why it's weird when Christians only hang out with Christians who are like them. It's saying something a bit strange, isn't it? It's saying something that's not quite true of the gospel. Church should be the place where we come with all of our identities and statuses from the world. And yes, we can keep them. And yet they don't make a difference as to how we treat one another. Maybe a little practical challenge for this evening is to chat to someone tonight from a different background, a different status in the world, over tea and coffee. This should be the place where we have radical equality. As we close then, the message of the world is that our circumstances and situations are incredibly significant. And as Christians, we can fall into the trap of thinking that. We can think that certain circumstances or situations would help us to really get going as a Christian, help us to be better off as Christians. We can think that certain circumstances and situations will make us more spiritual. And as a result of this, well, we spend all of our time looking at others and thinking, if only... We can spend our time trying to change our circumstances and situations in order to climb the ladder. And yet Paul says, well, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, 
whether we're married or single, divorced or widowed, whatever religious background we have, whatever job we have, whatever status we might have in the world's eyes, they don't make a difference before God. What does the gospel do? The gospel breaks through and smashes down the spiritual ladder. That's what the gospel does. The ladder doesn't exist. It's complete nonsense. Circumstances and situations, spiritually irrelevant. You won't become more spiritual by changing your circumstances. You won't become more spiritual by changing your situations. Because they make no difference in our standing before God. They make no difference now and they'll make no difference on the day the Lord Jesus returns. And so, as I said earlier, these verses are here to liberate us and free us. You can live for Christ now. Rather than thinking of other circumstances, rather than looking at others and thinking, if only that were true of me, or if only that were true of my kids, rather than putting all of our time and energy into trying to change our circumstances or situations, live where we are. Put all of our time and all of our energy into honouring the Lord Jesus Christ now. Keeping God's commands now. Paul says, live where you are called, knowing that your circumstances and situations are spiritually irrelevant. Let's just take a few moments to gather thoughts on our own, and then we'll pray together. Paul wrote in chapter 1, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lords and ours. Our Father, we praise you so much that the gospel is so radical that it breaks through all of the hierarchies and ladders that the world seeks to put in place. Thank you, our Father, that whatever background, whatever status we might have in the world's eyes, thank you that all of us are in the Lord Jesus all of us just as much important to you, all of us just as much important to one another. And so we pray that you would help us not to look to circumstances or situations for spirituality, but instead help us to honour you as we obey your word this week. Father, we pray for those in our church family who are facing difficult circumstances and situations. 
Pray, Father, that you would especially help us to encourage them as we meet over tea and coffee. And for all of us, we pray that you would help us to live where you've called us to be. For Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory we ask. Amen. Thanks, David. That's really encouraging. Um, it's great to think about.